Well, welcome to Fellowship Baptist Church. My name is Aaron, and I'm happy that we are in the house of the Lord together to worship our King. I had to just sit and listen. I think I could hear you guys sing louder than us here on stage, and it was just so beautiful, and uh, it was an honor. But I have to retract a couple statements I made last week in our sermon about uh, unclean food and Peter calling some food uh, unclean. I've learned that there is some foods you need to call unclean. Uh, I had some severe food poisoning this week, and uh, <laughs> I think it was just the Lord's humor in the part of Acts that we are are in. I realized that some food should remain unclean and not touched, <laughs> so uh, take that any way you want, but uh, uh, just be careful out there. But if you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, please go ahead and open them to the book of Acts. We are going to be in chapter 10, and we're going to be picking up where we left off last week in verse 24. But while you're turning there, I'm just going to give you a quick little recap because these stories, even into 11 uh, next week, are all tied together very tightly. So last week we saw when Peter was told, when the Lord told Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common, God was confronting Peter's prejudice to the world. He was confronting his ideologies because Peter had bundled up the whole world, all of its people except for the Jews, into one loathsome bundle, and he despised and looked down on them and said they were unclean. But God used a vision, if you remember, to radically change the apostles' heart and his attitude, and even the attitude of the early church. And we said that was a good thing because, humanly speaking, obviously God is in control, but humanly speaking, if Peter and the apostles kept it uh, to a Jewish uh, understanding, Standing, then me and you would have never experienced Christ's salvation. It would have been reduced to sort of a Jewish set. But thank the Lord that that didn't happen. And so we see him changing his heart. But we also realize that we have the same warning that Peter had last week, that when we put people into our sheets of scorn, when we excommunicate people because we just don't agree with them or they've rubbed us the wrong way or whatever it might be, that we too, humanly speaking, might not reach them and they may also be excommunicated from heaven per se. Our church and your life will never reach them if you're going to continue to remove them and excommunicate them. But Peter, in last week's sermon, received this blow to his caste system, per se. And, and praise be to God that he responded the way that he did. He didn't respond like his predecessors in the old time, Jonah, who goes to Nineveh and is actually angry that God spared Nineveh, but he responded the right way. And I think it must have been quite an amazing and eventful and interesting night at Simon the Tanner's house. Just as Peter's vision would have concluded, the three Gentile messengers from Cornelius came to the door. And under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, Peter, with his change of heart, invited them in. They spent the night. They, they communed together. And no doubt, this would have caused quite a stir on the Jewish block uh, with the local brethren. I lived for a time in New York City. And New York City and Brooklyn has a very high Orthodox Jewish population. And and I sat down next to a whole bench full of Jewish people, and I said hi, and they all stood up and walked away. And I know I stink some days, but come on. Um, and they just left me there sitting, so I just sat there and looked at the scenery. But uh, this is what might have happened. The block would have been overturned. What's happening? There's Gentiles in a Jewish home. Next thing we know, they're going to be filling our streets and our homes, and you could just hear the chatter that would have been going on. But regardless, 
Peter went in, he communed with them, and then he agreed to go with them to Caesarea and share Christ. And we ended in verse 23, but we'll read it as a reminder that we see that the next day after this, they arose and they went away with some of the brothers from Joppa who accompanied them. Now, I won't get in too much detail here because Pastor Dave's going to faithfully preach on this next week. But accordingly, according to chapter 11, verse 12, six Christian brethren accompanied Peter on his journey with his new friends. William Barclay says that this number was necessary because it made up seven, which was the necessary number of witnesses under Old Testament rules. So the party of ten, because the other, the other uh, three, went with them and began the 35-mile trek to Caesarea on the sea. And there must have been some animated conversations along the way. When they finally arrived in Caesarea, they received an extraordinary reception. And that's where we pick up today's verses. So starting in verse 24, it says, and on the following day, they entered Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him and said, stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or visit with another of any other nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked, I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house. And at the ninth hour, behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And as for the world that he sent to, uh, as for the uh, word, sorry, that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, from the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to those, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge, and all of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him shall receive forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Uh, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? 
who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And they asked for him to remain for some days. So reads the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you for this glorious chapter. As most theologians call this the most important chapter, not only in Acts, but in the entire Bible. This is the fulfillment of your plan to extend your kingdom to the world. And Lord, we are going to observe what that means for us and the power of what was going on in these days. We ask that you lead and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 24 to 28 are broken up between an extraordinary counter and an amazing, an extraordinary response. There's a lot of ways you can preach this. We could go through each title of the gospel message and make an own sermon out of it. But today we're going to take this big chunk and split it between two. This extraordinary encounter that we've read about and then this extraordinary response. So starting with the first half, we're going to look between verses 24 to 33. Verses 24 to 26, we see Peter entering Cornelius' house and Cornelian, Cornelius sorry, falling down and worshiping Peter. And Peter responded, yeah, get up, I'm just a man. And he assured him that I'm no better than you are. And presumably a large part of Cornelius' understanding of worship, he would have learned from Rome, right? Caesar claimed to be a god. Caesar had the power to end your life. When you entered his presence, you had to bow and not even look up. And, and this would explain why Cornelius' actions were the way they were when he finally sees Peter, the apostle, this Jewish man. And especially since Luke, the author of Acts, uses the Greek word that is commonly used for homage to a deity. There is no mistaking this. He had the intention to worship Peter. He looked at him as something of a supernatural trait. And Peter, think of that for a moment. He could have used that for to his advantage. This is just right off the heels of his changed heart. And he could have go, well, I could get used to this. Gentiles bowing to me. But that's not what we see he does. He does what we see him do throughout the book of Acts and other similar locations because we as humans we love peter knows us we love to flex the little authority given to us and it's important that we point back to jesus who deserves all glory honor and praise and that's what peter is doing i'm just a man jesus is what mattered if you look at a ministry and it's not pointing to christ but pointing to a man run doesn't matter how good the things they're saying run Look to Jesus. He'll never fail you. Amen? Both men put aside their prestige. These were both prestigious men in their circles. And Peter, he was an apostle. And, and Christians looked up to him and held his, his words in high regard. And he went into uh, Cornelius' house, as we detailed, who was a true Roman Italian centurion. And, he, and this, centu- this centurion fell before Peter out of respect that you give to a deity. And I thought it was really interesting that Cornelius just keeps getting this positive rap and then i thought well actually the whole new testament consistently gives centurions positive raps uh and it was a roman centurion that jesus said truly i tell you with no one in israel have i found such faith matthew eight ten. it was a centurion at the cross who cried truly this is the son of god it was a centurion who uh deferred to paul and to spare the prisoners when they were shipwrecked in malta which we'll see in chapter 27 of acts 
No one really knows why centurions consistently get positive uh, news and press in the New Testament. But I think it may be because that they were the real working officers of the Roman army. And they were willing, because of the pressures of their job, willing to face their own inadequacy and need because they're faced with it every day in their job. And I find it profound that God would orchestrate the first Gentile convert to usher in the world into the kingdom of God through a centurion, a Roman soldier. Isn't that interesting? How God works. Never write off who you meet. You never know what God wants to do with them. But Peter's words beginning in verse 28 are maybe a little striking to us in our polite world. We might in- interpret these as some rude words, but Peter is not saying and suggesting that he's lowering himself to associate with a foreigner. He's merely just uh, recognizing the custom of the day. That Caesarea was the place where most of the contact between, Roman, uh, before, between Romans and Jews would take place, but they did not meet in homes. This is strange. They wouldn't meet in homes. They would meet in a public square. But this is happening in the privacy of a home. And the Gentiles lived in their homes and visited their Gentile friends. And the Jews lived in their homes and fellowshiped with their Jewish friends because the Jews are the ones that were keeping to themselves. So what he's doing is that he's just addressing the elephant in the room. This is strange. And he understands that. But, uh, but, but it's not the case with Peter. They come in They fellowship together like brothers. And Peter and Cornelius had an exciting exchange before the whole household. Just think of a packed, small little room and just these two men having a conversation while everybody's listening. Peter spoke first saying, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit with any other nation. But God has shown me that I shall not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection, and I asked them, why have you sent for me? Who put their cap back on? Hmm. Remember last week when I said that this vision that was this sheet of food had more to do with just the dietary laws of Israel. This is Peter here confirming this, that it was more to just do with dietary laws, but the people of the world. And Peter's saying, I no longer call the people of the world common or unclean. And he addresses the listeners this way because everyone in the room would have been thinking the same thing, that a Jew came into Rouse and he explained that this vision was so powerful that we're no longer going to do it the same way. It was countercultural, changed every way how we're going forward. So get used to it. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird, but we're doing it together. And then he asked why he sent for me. Why have you sent for me? And I kind of read that as, as a hopeful anticipation. You parents who have younger kids, when you say, hey, we're going to go on vacation, and the kids get excited, and you didn't tell them that it was Disneyland, but they kind of know it's Disneyland, and they're sitting there like, where are we going, Dad? Where are we going, Mom? And they're excited. They have hopeful anticipation that it's Disneyland, and then you say, oh, we're going to Prairie Oasis. And No, uh, but uh, <laughs> but um, they, they, they have this hopeful expectation that it's Disneyland. And I kind of like to read Peter asking that same question in the same way that he knows Peter's in tune with the Holy Spirit he knows that God is up to something big here and he's asking why have you sent for me what's God about to do God is about to do something great 
And Cornelius responded, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I've sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come now. Therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Few preachers have ever had a more receptive audience than Peter that day. Everyone who has preached has shaken their head. Uh, Peter was prepared, right? He came in ready. The people were prepared. They were in the room ready to listen. The Holy Spirit was in control from beginning to end because this was the first time the gospel would be preached in this way to the Gentiles. And the sermon he preached, we see as a concise summary of the apostolic preaching that we see both at Pentecost in chapter 2 and before the Sanhedrin in chapter 3. And what we see in Peter's sermon is the ingredients of a gospel message. If you ever wonder what the gospel is, We just read it. This is the ingredients of a gospel message. We're just going to overview it. After a brief introduction, we see in 34 to 37, Peter reviews Christ's life in chapter 38. So he's hitting on the life of Christ. We kind of skip that in our gospel messages sometimes, but that's vitally important. And then he moves into his death in 39, and then into his resurrection in 40 and 41, and then his return as judge again. An area that we miss in our gospel message that Christ is coming again to judge the living and the dead. It's time to get right with Christ. And then he offers his free salvation in 43. The sermon concluded with Peter offering forgiveness that is found in Christ alone to everyone. And the emphasis there you can't miss is on everyone. This is important. Remember the context we're in. This is the first time it's going to the Gentiles. And they're hearing this for the first time that they now have forgiveness in this man's name, in the name of Christ for everyone, not just the Jews. And our gospel messages, when we share them with our friends, our families, our neighbors, our complete strangers, should mimic that of Peter's. You don't have to follow, uh, the, you don't have to just put everyone through a cookie cutter. I think the church is bad for that. We find a system that works and we pigeonhole everyone through. No, make the gospel message relatable to them. But this is the content that you preach to your friends. The Greek word for good news is euangelion, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but it translates as gospel. And we hear all the time men and women in ministry saying that I'm committed to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But yet you just take one of their pamphlets and you read and the content that they share is not the gospel at all. I may share with my neighbor that Jesus changed my life, that he gave me a 180 turn. And that's a wonderful testimony, but that's not the gospel. I can say to my friend that I got good news for you, buddy. God loves you. And sure, that's great news, but that's not the gospel in its entirety. In the New Testament, The gospel, and it categorizes the gospel, is understood in terms of a definite content. And that definite content is not about me, and it's not about you at the forefront. Because me and you, human beings, are glory thieves by nature. We love to steal glory from our Heavenly Father. 
We love to make it all about me. We sang this song growing up. It's all about you and all the wonders that you do. But we like to sing, it's all about me, right? And we come to church with that attitude. We preach the gospel with that attitude, thinking it's all about me, myself, and I. But that won't save anyone. The content of the gospel focuses attention on the person, his life, his death, and his work and resurrection of Jesus, who he is and what he has done. And then added on to that is where you can talk about where you receive the benefits of his ministry by faith. Your story is valid. I don't want you to hear me wrong. Your story is valid. Just don't confuse it with the gospel. The gospel must be preached. I always say you can bring as many casserole dishes to your neighbors, but if you don't share the gospel, they're not getting saved. A casserole dish doesn't save anyone. It's the message behind the dish, right? Right? Oh, okay, you scared me. I thought I was preaching to the wrong church. (laughs) Peter visited Cornelius, and he opened his mouth, and he preached the gospel. And what he preached was the life and ministry of Jesus. And I think it is good for us to give our testimony, but we must not confuse it with the ultimate focus of evangelism. Our testimony, I categorize as pre- or post-evangelism. It may be the thing that attracts your friends, that goes, oh wow, there's something powerful here, this is plausible, but you must share the gospel. Or after they hear the gospel, you say, yeah, that's what happened to me as well. It's pre- or post-evangelism. The power of God unto the salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the gospel of Aaron Visser or FBC, but of Jesus Christ. And it's given here in summary form. Point the lost to Jesus who never fails. Don't point him to me. Don't point him to, the, don't point him to yourself. Don't point him to any man or woman because we fail daily. And if they look at me or you for their hope, they will be disappointed. Peter ends his sermon in verse 43 saying, To him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And what we see at the very moment he says this thing is an amazing response, detailed in 44 to 46. Let's read. While Peter was staying there, uh, saying these things, sorry, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. The apostle only spoke for a few minutes. Well, wouldn't that be nice, right? But he only spoke for a few minutes before there were results. Peter laid down some major points about the life of Jesus. He mentioned some extending facts about what Christ has done. And then he was interrupted by a special working of the Holy Spirit. Lord, interrupt us in our services to save the lost. Cornelius and his household heard that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. And they responded in faith. There was no altar call. There was no special invitation. They simply believed and they were born again on the spot. And it was something about the truth that forgiveness is found in Christ alone. Think about it for a moment. These were Gentiles 
who were raised in pagan world that were taught to appease many different deities. And even if you did appease these deities, you definitely weren't still on their good side. They could still hurt you. And then Cornelius said, I had enough of this. I'm going to become a God-fearer. And he's convinced of Yahweh worship, but he was never truly welcomed in because he was a Gentile. So he understands all the laws and the prophets, but now... In this single verse, all this weight and guilt that he's been feeling, this pressure to work to earn his salvation was lifted in the simple verse that forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ's name alone. If you're sitting here today, forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ's name alone for you. It's not found in Buddha. It's not found in Muhammad. It's not found with the Mormons, with the Jehovah Witnesses. It's found in the name of Jesus Christ alone. Amen. And this pushed Peter's listeners over into belief in Jesus. And they believed and were filled with the Spirit of God. It was a powerful time. Peter and his six friends were amazed. They were, they, were, they were dumbfounded that God would give the Gentiles the ability to glorify him in other languages just as he did for the Jews back in Pentecost. And it was crucial for the Jews to see this, to understand that Jews and Gentiles were on equal grounds. There was no different levels. The Jews who have the Spirit and the Gentiles who don't have the Spirit, but they're now somewhat in. No, they both have the Spirit. They both have the ability to speak the words of God. Seven witnesses have seen it, including an apostle. It's finalized. But what's sad about this verse, because this verse is powerful, this verse has two major things happening here, the inclusion of the Gentiles and something else that I'll get to in a moment. But this verse has been used to propagate bad theology throughout the years. And I might ruffle some feathers here. But this teaching, they use this verse to teach that there was a second blessing after conversion, that some Christians have the Spirit and other Christians don't. And that's ludicrous. That's false. I was raised with this understanding. I remember seeing older men and women in my church as I grew up who would come to the front of the church to have hands laid on them to receive the second blessing and they never would. And they would go away disappointed and some of them died never thinking that they had the Holy Spirit living inside of them. This was manipulation and this was abuse. And my friends, I want to tell you that bad theology hurts people. It hurts people. And it's important that we understand what's going on here. And this understanding of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit as the some who haves and have not hurts people. It manipulates people and it abuses them. And there's absolutely no biblical warrant for teaching a so-called baptism of the Holy Spirit that only some Christians receive. Every time the Spirit is poured out in this manner in Scripture, we see that everyone who was present, what happened? They received the Spirit, everyone who is present. Among true Christians, there is no such thing as haves and haves nots. Anyone who is a Christian is born of the Spirit, is indwelt by the Spirit, and is baptized by the Spirit, and is powered by the Spirit the very moment they convert to be used by God for ministry. That's impressive and that's powerful. You see, the ones who teach this propagate a very low view of what Pentecost is. You are here and you are in Christ. You right now have the whole Holy Spirit living in you. 
You don't need to seek a second blessing to be empowered for ministry. You are at that moment, that the moment you're converted, empowered for ministry. The moment you're converted, you possess every ounce of power you need to be used by God. Do you believe that? Because that changes the way we live. That doesn't mean that there aren't haves and haves not in this building, in the church in general. There are people in the church and even this church who do not have the Holy Spirit and those who do. But the only difference is the ones who don't are the unconverted. If you're here and you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not converted. It's very possible as well to attend church for many years and to profess faith in Christ and yet be unregenerated without the Holy Spirit. Just going through the motions. It's easy to play church. We talked about this in our little mini-series on 1 John. But however, if you are here and you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit in His full redemptive work lives inside of you. There's no second blessing that will fix all the problems that you will face in this lifelong pursuit of godliness. Sanctification is not instantaneous. If you're wondering why you're still struggling in areas of sin, sanctification is not instantaneous. It takes your whole lifetime to continue to commit to killing those sins by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without Him. So what's going on in these verses is, all, is confirming that the Jews and Gentiles are on the same page, but also something greater, something more significant that actually connects all the way back to the time of Moses. And I wish I had time to walk you through the details of this, but I'll try to commit this week to writing you a little concise article of what's happening, that this is a fulfillment of a prayer of Moses that we see a theme throughout the whole Old Testament into the New Testament. But getting back to our verses today, verse 46b to 48 says, Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. What we see consistently in the New Testament is when those who are saved, they go instantly into baptism. Peter, realizing that these converts had received the Holy Spirit are now and now in the church, he said, who can withhold water from them to be baptized? They must be baptized. The early church didn't separate baptism in believing like we do so often and casually today. The decision to be baptized is clear because the people have received the Holy Spirit. They've received salvation just as the Jewish believers had. They were fulfilling Jesus' command that they were to go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of Jesus and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The requirements for baptism are clear in this verse. You believe in Jesus. You receive the Spirit. It's belief in Jesus and that the repentant person who believes in Christ can find forgiveness of sins in Christ alone. In other words, they simply believe the gospel message. At Cornelius' house, Peter witnessed visible evidence, a clear manifestation of the Spirit's presence that led the apostle to conclude that these Gentiles should be baptized, just like the believing Jews. And I've, over the, I've had the privilege over the last two weeks to interview two people who want to be baptized, and I want to extend that offer to you as well. If you're here and you believe in Christ, you're filled with His Spirit, but you haven't been baptized, come talk with me. I'd love to baptize you. If you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, but these things are starting to make sense to you or you want to learn more, come and talk to us. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. And then we'll fill that tank week after week and celebrate your faith in Christ. Amen?
So don't hesitate. Don't separate believing and being baptized so casually like we so often do today. But lastly, as we close, after baptism, we see Cornelius and his household ask Peter to stay for some time. And why wouldn't he? He's having a great time. Things are going well. The first Gentile baptism just happened. The first Gentile church service technically just took place. And even the first Gentile follow-up class has just concluded. And during this time with Gentiles, he began to see that the Gentiles were human, just like he was. He began to see that the Gentiles felt just like he felt. He began to see that they loved Jesus just like he loved Jesus. Because experience is a wonderful teacher. Nothing helps one perspective like spending time with those that we view beneath us. Are you able to spend time with those who you view beneath you? Maybe engage in a relationship with them, invite them to an alpha, get to know them, commune with them. Nothing helps one's perspective like spending time with people because you see they're just like you. They bleed red, they feel the same, and they could potentially love Jesus just like you do. It's a beautiful thing. Peter's story is a major story, and it's not yet over. It actually takes 77 verses to tell this story. It repeats his vision twice. God wanted to make sure that we did not miss the point, that God has enlarged Peter by positive reinforcement when he performed great miracles in Gentiles' environments that we saw last week, by a vision of his narrowness, and now by his faithful ministry with the Gentiles. Peter now understood that Christ was for everyone. He was optimistic about what the gospel message could do in the lives of those who believe in his day and age and the future in our day and age. And we too, as a church, should be optimistic of what the gospel can do in your life and in the life of our community. Because when we're optimistic about it, the the thoughts of the impossibility of sinners becoming godly becomes possible through Christ and his grace. It becomes possible. Just a few days prior to this event that Peter just, we just read about, Peter would have thought that this was impossible. He might have laughed at you. But then he saw Cornelius and his whole household receive the Holy Spirit and were transformed. But with his own eyes, he saw them all transformed. And we too can see our neighbors and our friends transformed. And what this shows us, though, is that we, as we're optimistic about the gospel, We can see it change our community, but you can see it change your very life now. By His grace, you as parents can pursue rebellious teenagers with patient and preserving love because of His gospel. By His grace, as as a spouse, you can put away bitter memories and fully forgive your significant other. By His grace, you can extend, sorry, you can exit the prisons of depression, anxiety, and compulsion to live a hope-filled, free life in Christ. By His grace, you who are here today who are bound by lust, greed, and fear, or vengeance, can live in the purity and courage of faith. Amen? That's the power of the gospel. That, it transforms us from the inside out. This is the optimism that Peter would have felt when he shared the gospel, that it could do in the lives of his listeners, that it could do in our lives as his readers, freeing us from our bonds of sin and bringing us into conformity 
with Christ. That's the power of the gospel. And if we do not believe that the gospel is powerful and inclusive, if we're not just a little bit optimistic about what it will do in your life and the life of our community, if we're not just a little bit aggressive about sharing it, people won't come to Christ through our church and through your lives. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. It's the power of God unto salvation. Do not be ashamed of this gospel message, but go forth into your community, into your, in your neighborhoods, into your homes, into your families, and preach the power of God unto salvation. Because it will transform your household, it will transform your lives, and it will transform this community. I believe it with every fiber of my being. There is no one whose life God cannot turn inside out. The Lord can even change an entire family. There is power in the name and blood of Christ. Amen? Let's pray as the worship team comes. Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are a good God. Father, we thank you that you're a sovereign Lord who can include us, Gentiles, sinners, into your kingdom and use us in mighty ways. Father, we humbly ask that you would use us in our homes, that you'd use us in our communities, in our schools, in our workplace to not be ashamed of your gospel, but to preach the power of salvation to those who are around us. Father, would you just orchestrate these things for us like we see in the book of Acts as we step out in faith. Father, would you put people on our path who need to hear your good words? In Jesus' name, amen.